It is great uh, to be back here. I was gone last weekend. My daughter Melody had a dance recital in college, and so we were up in Michigan. It's good to be back. And uh, as I think about the month of December, I don't know what December kind of means for you. Obviously, it's Christmas. And so the month of December is special to me because of Christmas. But it's also special to me because it's the month of my daughter's birthday. And so in December, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We celebrate the birth of our daughter. And I tell you what, I, as I remember and I look back through the years, there are various kind of celebrations we had for her. But there was one that I'll never forget. It was her 15th birthday party. And it just beautifully tied to Christmas. It didn't seem so at first, but it really did. And so I remember coming home uh, from work that day. And I remember looking forward to the fact that we had this birthday party that night. And I walked in the door and I asked Carol, you know, what can I do to help? And we're, we're setting the table and getting things ready. And I say, okay, well, can you kind of lay out the night for me in terms of some of the events that you might have planned or whatever, just so I know what's, what's coming and, and how you need me to help or what you need me to do? And, and so she said, well, of course, you know, her friends, we had about eight or ten friends coming over for dinner. They're going to eat. And uh, towards the end of their meal, she said, we, we have some guests coming over. I says, oh, guests, like, you know, to, to be part of the, the birthday party? She said, oh, no, 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 they're not part of the party at all. No, these are just guests that are coming over. And I said, well, why do we have guests coming over to our house in the middle of Melody's birthday party? That just doesn't, that doesn't seem right, you know? And she said, well, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal, really. You know, don't worry about it. it it's all covered. It'll be just fine. I said, but, but Carol, this is Melody's birthday party. I mean, this is her birthday. We're supposed to be focusing on her. I, we, we shouldn't be having guests come over. She says, Phil, don't worry about it. It's all handled. I have friends coming over. They've prepared the food, you know, for all the people who will be coming. And I thought, all the people who are coming, how many people are coming over to our house? I said, in the middle of Melody's birthday party. And she says, oh, you know, around 20. And I said, 20 people are coming over to our house. I mean, I don't get this. Why? I mean, we're supposed to be focusing on Melody. And I said, where, where are these people from anyway? And she said, well, China. <laughs> I said, we have 20 people from China coming over to our... I mean, she said, they're only here for a couple days. They needed a place to eat. And I said, well, certainly there's somewhere else in the city of Lansing where they could be eating tonight because this is our daughter's birthday party. And I'll tell you what, it was too late. The plans had been made and the, the, the girls arrived and they began eating their meal, having a great time. And when you know it, towards the end of their meal, the doorbell rang and I opened the door to see... Uh, more than 20 uh, people from China sitting at our front door. And we welcomed all of them in. And, you know, this didn't seem to be bothering Melody. So I thought, well, maybe I'm the uptight one here. And so now they're, they're all over our house. I mean, they're everywhere because you can't put everyone in one room, right? So they're eating everywhere. In every room, we've got people from China eating throughout our home. And so now I'm feeling like really like not sure what to do inside. I mean, should I be focusing on Melody? I mean, it's her party after all. But then we've got like 30 guests from China in our house. I should be focusing on them. And so I'm going back and forth and back and forth and, and trying to make this whole deal work. And then it dawned on Carol, you know, it's Christmas time. These people are from China. They probably have never heard the Christmas story before. What a great opportunity. And so she went to Melody and her friends and said, well, you, will you go downstairs and, and kind of prepare a Christmas play, you know, that you put on for them. 
And they were actually up for this thing, okay? I mean, I'm looking at this going, I cannot believe any of this is going on. But they go downstairs into the basement. They're working on their Christmas play. And by the time they're ready, then Carol called everyone together in one room, just trying to pile everyone together. We have a special presentation for you tonight, you know? And I'm, I'm sitting back going, oh, how good can this special presentation be? They just threw it together in the basement, right? And so now the girls come upstairs and they had rummaged to the basement. They had different robes and stuff, you know, from the first century. They're going to act out the Christmas story. They're all girls. And, and so, um, you know, Melody's uh, one friend, Jessica, she was the tallest. She took on the part of Joseph. You know, and she, you know, I, they found a beard somewhere. I don't even know where. And so now she's Joseph. I don't remember which one of her friends was Mary. Uh, different friends, of course, they're different animals, you know, that would be there at that setting. And, and so now they're putting this play on. Now, there was one friend, and we still are friends with her today. Her name is Megan Cloutier. And back then, she was really, really short. The shortest friend that she had. And she was, like, behind everyone else. I wasn't sure what her part was. But she, I couldn't see her, but I knew she was back there. I didn't know what she was doing. And so now they're doing the story. And, you know, Mary and Joseph, they come to the inn. And there's no room in the inn for them. And so they have to go, you know, to the cave, if you will. And so now, you know, they end up going to the cave. And now Mary and Joseph and the animals, these various girls who are animals now, um, you know, they are there. And now it's time for the birth of Christ. Now, normally, of course, you just kind of bring out a baby doll and there you just have a a baby. But this is a play, mind you. You have to act it out, right? And so now Mary, she's here and she's she's there and, and now she goes into birth pains. And she's crying out and she's screaming out in pain because she's delivering this baby. And I'm sitting there going, this is not a good idea. Okay, just not a good idea. And so now she's got this robe on and she's screaming out in pain. And what you know it, in the middle of all of her birth pains, out pops Megan Cloutier, complete with Jesus' hair. Okay? And Jesus had been born right there in my living room. And the moment that Jesus had been born, this woman from China, she begins to clap. And she cries out, no blood, no blood. Well, at the end of that, they all kind of got together, got their coats on, and now they're leaving our home. And um, this couple comes up to me. Not all of them could, could speak English, mind you. And um, this couple came up to me, and, and they said, well, when you come to China, you will not stay in a hotel. That will never do. You are going to stay with us in our home. And they gave me their address and their phone number. And they looked at me and said, you have been such a gracious host to us. We merely want to return the favor. And as they walked out the door, I thought to myself, and I didn't even want them there. Hmm? And I've looked back on that story and on that encounter in our home. We, we tried to find pictures. We had pictures somewhere of all this. We couldn't find them. And um, but I, I remember different events, of course. I'll, I'll never forget all the people from China showing up at our front door. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget kind of this, you know, birthday party gone wrong, if you will. But one thing I'll never forget is Jesus being born in my living room. That was very surprising. And I'll never forget that woman from China applauding the birth of Christ. Because you see, in reality, the real Jesus when he was born was a surprise to everyone. It had been foretold, but it was surprising to everyone. And the world has been applauding ever since.
But not everyone in the world understands what they're applauding. Have you noticed? This past week, I watched a Christmas uh, show. You know, one of these you know, great singers that are popular out there it was a Christmas uh, show and singing all these beautiful Christmas songs. And I found it just kind of interesting that it was a Christmas production with no mention of Christ or no song about Christ. Uh, jingle bells and all these other things, Santa and everything, but no Christ in Christmas. The world's applauding. But not everyone is exactly sure what they're applauding. There's, there's things that have been forgotten over time. In fact, there were things that were forgotten when Jesus was born that people just didn't get because they'd forgotten about. And there's things that we still, when we approach Christmas, we are still forgetting about today. And to that we say, guide us to thy perfect light. Father, we you shed your perfect light on Christmas that we might be able to see a little bit more clearly what Christmas is really all about. And that's what we're going to do today. And next weekend and then on Christmas Eve, we're going to take a look at some of the forgotten things of Christmas. And they will challenge us. They will challenge us. And so as we start today and as we take a look at uh, the forgotten things of Christmas, we're going to talk about the forgotten image the forgotten image. And in order to understand this whole thing, we need to start from the right place. And so while there's much that has been forgotten, I'm going to hope that uh, you all remember the following phrase we're going to take a look at because you learned this in elementary school. Remember this one? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These, of course, are words from the Declaration of Independence penned by Thomas Jefferson. And we recall those words. We recall that statement. And within this short statement, I mean, there's a whole lot that's said here. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, he saw it pretty clearly, at least this part of it. And as he wrote this, he made it very clear that all people are created. We are not accidents. We are all his creation. And the Creator, of course, confers worth on every single individual. And this worth means that we have rights. We have rights in society because all are equal in status. No person is better than another. And the reason that no person is better than another is because we are all made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And so we celebrate that in our country. And we've been learning more about this in our country over the past 20, 30 years. More and more about what this really means, that everyone is equally beautiful in the eyes of God. Something that Thomas Jefferson really was writing about a couple hundred years ago. Now these very truths, of course, that we embrace today were not always held out as truths. In fact, there was another person very, very respected throughout the world. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, he wrote this. For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. And so he wrote very clearly, we are not all made in the image of God. We're not all equal. We're not all equally beautiful. Heavens, no. Some are made to rule. Some are made to serve. Some are in the middle there somewhere. We are not equal because we are not made in the image of God. And so there's a pastor, a theologian, I highly respect, John Orberg. 
And he asked a critical question. In fact, I want to credit him because much of what I'm saying really comes from his teachings to me that I'm passing along to you this weekend and next weekend. But he asked this question. He said, who came between Aristotle and Thomas Jefferson to change all of this? Who came? Well, the answer, of course, was a child who was born, who was marked out for subjection as well, at least according to the society of his day. In fact, the idea that he would rule would come from his own mind, people might say. But he would end up ruling anyway. And because he rules today, all people are equal. Because we were all made in the image of God. But it didn't begin that way, however. And we know this because after all, Jesus Christ, when he was born 2,000 years ago, he was born as a mamzer. Heard that word before? Mamzer. M-A-M-Z-E-R. This was the term... To describe such a child, a child whose parents were not even married. That was a mamzer in that society. Not a good word. In fact, over time, there's been different words used throughout society to describe such a child. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to go into those words now. But that was Jesus. He was a mamzer. Disrespected, lowly in that society. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, he would write about this mamzer long before Christ came. And he wrote, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You see, the night that Jesus was born, all was not calm. All was not bright. And most likely, Jesus did not sleep in heavenly peace. Why? The world did not esteem him. And how could they? Jesus was a mamzer. A mamzer. As Ortberg writes, he says his cradle was a feeding trough. His nursery mates had four legs. He was wrapped in rags. He was born in a cave, targeted for death, raised on the run. As Aristotle would put it, he was marked out for subjection. In fact, this was underscored by the very first people who would tell others about the birth of Christ. These marketing agents, if you will, who are also marked out for subjection in their own society, began to tell others about what they had witnessed. These people who were very low in society began to speak about him. And the Bible says the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The audience, the recipients were amazed, the Bible tells us. Amazed at what? Amazed at what? Well, perhaps amazed that the shepherds had seen angels. At least that's what they said. Angels. That's pretty amazing. But perhaps some people in the audience that day thought perhaps some of those shepherds spent a little bit too much time out on the hillside, if you know what I'm talking about. Angels? These people were amazed. Perhaps they were amazed that the shepherds believed they had seen someone special. But their testimony didn't give light to that, really, did it? Is somebody special born in rags? Born in a cave? And yet these people were amazed. Amazed at what? 
perhaps amazed that a mamzer had garnered so much attention. You see, any mamzer in that day and age was clearly marked out for subjection. After all, Jesus was not only a mamzer, he was nothing but just a child. A child. See, in our day and age, we hold up children, don't we? We, we had dedications a couple of weeks ago, and we love to see these babies being dedicated. We love to see little children. But back then, not so much. In fact, Orberg writes, the title child, especially in that day, would be a vivid contrast with king or great. In the ancient status-ordered world, children were at the bottom of the ladder. In both Greek and Latin, the words for children meant not speaking. Hearing that? Not speaking. Children lacked the dignity of reason. To be a child was to be dependent, defenseless, fragile, vulnerable, at risk. A hero was someone who made things happen. A child was someone things happened to. In fact, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, if you were a baby girl, you might live. You might live. And if you lived, you would be shut out from the benefits of education and public life. If you were a baby boy, you would commonly grow up to be a servant who would live your short life for the benefit of others. But the truth is, back in the first century in ancient Rome, many babies would never have the chance really to live much at all. After all, they were not made in the image of God. That's what people thought back then. And consequently, many babies were often victims of something known as exposure. Exposure. This was very common in that day. The head of the household, the father of the family, would decide to expose his child for a variety of quote-unquote good reasons back then. The baby was born the wrong sex. A girl. Expose of that child. The baby was born in poverty. Why raise another baby in poverty? Expose of that child. The baby was born illegitimate. That baby a mamzer? What purpose would that life have? Expose of that child. See, such babies were often abandoned and left alive in local garbage dumps where they would be left to starve to death. In that society, no one cared. No one offered help. And if a child was actually rescued, that child would turn up as a slave. In fact, if Joseph had been Roman in that society, Jesus would never have lived more than a few painful hours. And if a Roman baby was deformed in any way, in any way, it was disposed of by way of drowning. In fact, one archaeological dig discovered nearly a hundred little babies who had been thrown into the sewer. Children in that society had little value in ancient Judea. Because they merely lived to serve the depraved, power-hungry dictator known as Herod. You've heard about him. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod, he was reigning, right? He was, he was the big kahuna. And he had about ten wives. Enough to keep him busy, I'm guessing. Ten wives. His most beloved wife, his most cherished wife, he had executed. For fear that others might try to take his throne, Herod executed his mother-in-law, executed his brother-in-law, and executed two of his own sons. In fact, the great and powerful Caesar was quoted as saying, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. Even as Herod was dying, he ordered a group of protesters arrested and the ringleader burned alive. In fact, a few days before his death, Herod had another one of his sons executed because that son tried to take the throne a bit too soon. 
And in his will, which was carried out, by the way, it was stated that at the moment of his death, many popular Israelites would be killed in order to ensure that there would actually be weeping throughout his kingdom during his funeral. After all, he wouldn't be there to weep for himself. See, we look at this, we see Jesus, and he's all-powerful. But back then, Herod was the all-powerful one. In fact, he was so highly regarded back then, he was eventually given the title King of the Jews. King of the Jews. In fact, Herod was given this title when he was 33 years old. The same age that a mamzer, one marked out for subjection, would eventually die on a cross. So it's not all surprising then that Herod was so incredibly surprised when the Magi showed up at his door one day asking this question. Where is the one who had been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. See, within that question was a great problem for Herod. It would have caused his heart to stop, his stomach to heave. Why? Well, after all, he was given the title King of the Jews. It was bestowed upon him when he was 33 years old. He was not born with that title. And now somewhere within his kingdom, there was a baby who had been born with that title, a title that he had rightly earned for himself. And as a result, Herod ordered the execution of all boys to and under who were living in or near Bethlehem. And we read this in our Bibles and we're amazed at that. But back then, not so astounding, because children in that society were disposable. Most were marked out for subjection because they did not bear the image of God. At Christmas, we often sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. When Herod's soldiers came to town that day, Bethlehem was anything but still. And when they arrived, something amazing occurred. While many lives were tragically lost, the Mamzer, the one they had come looking for, could not be found. For an angel had appeared to Joseph, this man who had claimed this illegitimate Mamzer child as his own, and told him, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Herod, the king of the Jews, had finally died. But because Jesus, the Mamzer, had lived, no one would bear the title of king of the Jews again until Christ faced death on a cross one horrible Friday afternoon. And what prepared the way for such suffering? Well, you already know. We just haven't placed it in our minds appropriately. You see, one day, the Mamzer, Jesus Christ, was asked a critical question by his faithful band of followers. They asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You remember what happened next? He didn't answer the question right away, did he? He called for a little child to be brought to him to stand directly next to him. Before he answered. And then once the child was brought to him, he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. 
And we look at this and we think, how incredibly beautiful. How incredibly insightful. What a cute moment. What a beautiful moment. But if you were part of the crowd there that day, I have to become like a child? A disposable child? This would have been an event of shock and awe. As Orberg wrote, he says, Jesus said it wasn't the child's job to become like Herod. Rather, it was Herod's job to become like the child. Greatness comes to people who die to appearing great. When Jesus looked at people, he saw the image of God. He saw this in everyone. It caused him to treat each person with dignity. And the world has not been the same ever since. In fact, by the 4th century, the emperor Constantine, a convert to Christianity, he ended the practice of exposure for his entire empire. Rather than placing unwanted babies in garbage dumps or throwing them into the local sewer, people began bringing them to churches and to orphanages. You see, people, just like Jesus, began to see that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we were all made in the image of God. One historian paints the picture this way. I'm going to read this slowly, and I want you to take in every word. The rise of Christianity produced consequences so immense that it can almost be said to have begun the world anew, to have invented the human. For we came to see what formerly we could not, the autistic or Down syndrome or otherwise disabled child. The derelict or wretched or broken man or woman who has wasted his or her life away. The homeless, the utterly impoverished, the diseased, the mentally ill, the physically disabled. Exiles, refugees, fugitives, even criminals and reprobates. To be able to see in them not only something of worth, but indeed something potentially godlike. To be cherished and adored is the rarest and most ennoblingly unrealistic capacity ever bred within human souls. The capacity to see value in forgotten children. The capacity to see value in the forgotten of society all began when a forgotten mamzer by the name of Jesus Christ was born at Christmas. That was just the beginning. For not only would this mamzer be born, this mamzer would grow up to teach us all that we are all made in the image of God. All are made equal and beautiful in his eyes. And this is something that the world of his time had completely forgotten. Fast forward 2,000 years and this is something many people in our society still forget today. And that's where we come in. See, our job this Christmas is not merely just to remember Jesus. Our job is to represent Jesus to a world that feels forgotten. It's up to us, guided by the Holy Spirit, to guide them to his perfect light. For the moment that people come to see the true beauty of who Jesus is, is the very moment they will come to see the beauty of who they are. For they will finally see that they were created by God, not only with certain inalienable rights, they were created by God to be His image bearers on the face of this earth. But the reality is they need our help to see this. Because their eyes, their human eyes, their spiritual eyes are veiled by sin. The Apostle Paul wrote, he says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil... Is taken away. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into what? His image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, this Christmas, we're going to run across thousands of people at shopping malls, at parties and parades. And many of these people have forgotten what Jesus Christ came to help them remember. That they are valued, that they are prized, that they are treasures, that they are beautiful. It doesn't matter how they were born or what their birth led to. Because Jesus came, this manzer came. To announce the availability of a kingdom that greatly differs from Herod's and from any kingdom that people are pursuing even today. Jesus came to offer them a kingdom full of blessing, a kingdom full of value, a kingdom full of life, a kingdom filled with worth. All they have forgotten can be restored once they begin seeing themselves as he sees them. That they were made in the image of God to reflect the image of God. And once they realize this and remember this and embrace this, they will never see anything quite so beautiful. Will you pray with me, dear Father? We thank you that thousands of years ago you saw us in our need. You saw us in our sin, in our hopelessness, and you saw value in us. You saw within us what we could not see in ourselves. And so you sent your son to be born in such a humble way for such a pride-filled people. And Jesus, you came out of your obedience, a mamzer, a mamzer child, and you taught us so well. Help us to live out what you've taught us. Help us to to see ourselves as you see us. That once we are saved, you see us as beautiful. You see us, Father, just as you see your own Son, perfect and holy. And you long for the rest of the world to see this truth as well. And so God, use us. Use us today. To show people the beauty of who Jesus is. That once they come to see the beauty of who Jesus is, they will come to see the beauty of who they are. That we are not accidents. We're not mistakes. We are your creation, Father. Made in your image to reflect your image. And to that truth, we have but one response. worship you because only you, Jesus Christ the Mamzer is Lord of all. Mm